Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. All right, thank you, Pastor, and Brother Pastor Dave, thank you as well. Thank you for your music today. I want to take a moment from Fellowship Baptist Church and thank you for being here, and thank you for what you're doing in ministry. Thank you for the labor that you put into the ministry, for being partners together for the cause of Christ. Uh, we are very thankful that there are churches that are standing on the Word of God that are moving forward aggressively to do something for the cause of Christ. And one of the burdens that we have is that we get to the do of ministry and sometimes get, pa get past the talk of ministry. Uh, and yet many times it takes a lot of study in the Word of God to sort out exactly what path God wants us to take in the getting done of ministry. And I'm, I'm compelled with the idea that we don't have much time. Uh, you know, Pastor, I appreciate you telling me what time to be done. Uh, at least I asked him, okay? I asked him, what time should I be done? Um, and I have two great deficiencies that I, I think are a benefit when it comes to preaching. One is he told me and I can't remember, so that's good. Second thing is that even if you did tell me, you didn't tell me it was going to be a military time clock, okay? So that's just going to throw me too. Uh, and when I think about time, I was at home the other day and I've been working outside and trying to do a project and it'll be in part of the message, I think, in a little bit. But my six-year-old Joseph, he asked me, he said, Dad, how old are you? Just out of the blue, we're in the backyard, sun is shining, and all of a sudden he wants to bring in that cloud of how old are you? So he asked me how old I am, and I, I think about, I said, older than you. And he said, no, but how, no, Dad, but how, how old are you? And so I said, all right, son, I'm 55. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> and then he followed that with, I can't even count to that. And so about 10 minutes later, I was doing a project outside, and he came up to me, and he said, Dad, Dad, I did it. I counted to your age. And uh, you want to you be humbled, ask a kid junior church age how old they think you are. Okay, so now what does that have to do with the message? Just this. Uh, we don't have tons of time to sort out all that I want to share with you, and I will apologize on the front side. The front side of that being, there is doctrine undergirding everything that I'm going to tell you, and I'm not going to be able to unpack with time all that I would like to unpack that would be helpful for you. But I would like you to follow up in your own study, be the Berean, see if what is being shared is so, but I'm going to come to you with the same spirit that I had this morning that I want to be a help to you, and the burden that I have in this message which the title is very creative, The Battle of the Mind, Part 2. Uh, so uh, I have a lot here that I want to share with you, and I want to share it with you because it's what God has given me to help in my own life, and I have found it to be encouraging to me, and I hope will be to you as well. We're going to be back in the passage that we were this morning, and I again apologize, it's going to, we're going to be in a lot of passages. You'll understand that as we go through the whys behind that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to pray and we'll be into the battle of the mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for giving us truth. 
Thank you for being that source of truth and thank you for your grace that reaches us. Thank you for the goodness that you share, the gift of life, the gift of opportunity to serve, and Lord, the great blessing of redemption through your Son. Help us to be busy about your business. Help us to be fruitful in what you've called us to do. We pray that you'd magnify your name. And as we look at these scriptures tonight, I pray that you'd help us to reconcile these truths to our hearts and that we would be careful not to be hearers of the word only, but that we would be doers as well. And Lord, help us to find application that would rightfully and suitably fit the doctrine of your word. We pray these things for the glory of Christ's sake. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10, just to bring us back up to speed, uh, we were in verses 1 through 6, we really targeted verses 3 through 5. We'll pick up largely in verse 5, and that is going to be, again, largely the uh, direction of our thought this evening. For though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Interesting language in verse 6, which I'm going to get ready to preach at my own church next Sunday, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There's a lot in verse 6 as that, I think, culminates the beginning of this section of Scripture. We're going to come back to this first point, casting down imaginations, the idea of bringing your thoughts captive. We've established or tried to this morning that every thought that you have is not a good thought. We spend oftentimes a lot of time entertaining thoughts that we should not have. The thoughts that you have that are out of line with the knowledge of God and the truth that He has revealed has to be thrown down. It has to be a decision of your life, if you're going to walk with God, to make the decision to reject certain thoughts that come to your mind. This is true of external influence and philosophies, but it's also true with what you allow in your mind. So we're going to dwell largely on this thought of bringing our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. It isn't just throwing away bad thoughts, casting down imaginations or arguments that people would raise against the truth of God is an effective and truly doctrinal strategy for dealing with things that aren't right. And there are certainly things that we need to do. We need to consider what's going on in our mind, be able to identify what's not of God, and truthfully make that effort to do that throwaway, that, that casting it down. It is very effective, but that's not all that's involved. This must be done with the target of the last part of this verse. Bring it captive and make it submit. So, casting it down and bringing it captive to the point of submission as your target is the goal. So, what we have to do is evaluate our thinking by the Word of God, by the knowledge of God, and those things that aren't of God not only have to be cast down, but they also have to be brought 
captive. Now, the idea of being brought captive to me was illustrated by talking with people or considering those that have been around horses. And horses have a way of being controlled. Uh, there's lots of different ways to control a, ho- a horse, uh, but most who've had some experience with horses know that you are given reins. And reins do exactly that. They rein in or bring in or guide a horse. And if you've ever been on a horse that won't be guided, you won't want to be on a horse again. It's no fun to be riding a horse that wants to do what it wants to do while you want it to do something else. But the idea and the illustration of bringing every thought captive is that in our minds, there are thoughts that we let go like the wild horse, and it runs across the field unbridled, unreined, and it runs off for a distance. And this is what that looks like. Do you have your places of thought? Can people tell when your thoughts aren't maybe what they ought to be? Many of us have a way of expressing our thoughts by the expression of our face. And I don't know what it is about mowing grass, but mowing grass is where I work over every problem in the universe. So while I'm mowing the grass, and I've identified this is what happens when I mow the grass. I mow the grass and I'm thinking through all the problems of life and while I'm doing that, my brow furrows and I'm in deep thought and it looks like I hate grass because I'm in every problem in the world and what I'm doing often is I'm letting the thoughts come to my mind and I'm letting that wild horse run. What I'm going to tell you and what we're going to get to is the Holy Spirit will make you aware of this. We'll get to it. But the key is when He makes you aware, what do you do? And the truth is, those thoughts have to be reined in. You have to at some point grab the reins or grab the hair on the back of the, the horse's neck and, and do an action. When I was a kid, my, my parents bought a pony for us. And my sister and I are, we're 10 months apart, and we are as different as night and day. She's five foot two. She's a stick of dynamite. She's like, uh, she's either captain or general or something in, in the in, uh, National Guard. She's, she's way up there, okay? And, and she, is, she um, is a nurse. She got, cut her teeth in, in the nursing environment by being in uh, Riley's Hospital in Indiana, intensive burn care unit for babies. Uh, and then she got on helicopters and rode out to the uh, crash sites and, and ministered in that way. She's just tough. But that's always been a part of her. So I remember when she got on a horse for the first time, this pony. I was always afraid of these things, not her. She got on that thing and that horse took off. And I remember seeing my sister. She was not, she was not controlling the horse whatsoever. It's just a pony. But that pony took off running, and it was a dirt road, and it, it looked just like that picture of the horse flying through air, dust flying in the background, kind of the Pony Express kind of thing. And all you could hear was her giggle just as she went off in the distance. Me, I would be screaming and crying, but not my sister. But that's the picture of what happens often with our thoughts. We let them go. We let them have their way. And we let them have their influence without screening them through the obedience of Christ.
So our thoughts have to have a reign to them. And the direction of that reigning is the obedience of Christ. You and I have to learn biblically to control our thoughts. Now, I hope that what I'm going to share with you right now encourages you to be a perpetual student of the Word of God. And I will go ahead and lay myself bare here and say that I learned something this last week, studying with our, two weeks ago, studying with our youth on these verses that I have known ever since I got saved when I was, uh, a year after I was saved, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Your pastor mentioned them tonight. You can take your Bibles there for a moment. This is all laying a foundation of how to deal with your thoughts. So you have to bring your thoughts captive. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you do what? You present your body a what? Living sacrifice. By the way, this isn't the message tonight, but I'm going to tell you this is one of, the, uh, one of the situations that Christianity is dealing with today, where there are a lot of people who name the name of Christ and say we love Christ, but we will not present ourselves a living sacrifice. Now, this passage says it is what kind of service? So, reasonable would be fine, defined as what? It's the right decision. It's understandable to make this choice. I just want you to consider what God's done for you because this is by the mercies of God that drives us to this conclusion. Now, the preacher in me has to rein that in because we're really going to the next verse. It says, and be not conformed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Now, I appreciate everybody that knew this already, but I did not. So, I have known this, these verses, and God's used them in my life in consecration and surrender. Powerful to me, memorized so that I, they're just a part of the fabric of my walk with Christ. But when we were doing this study with our young people in our church, we were given the task to Write out what you don't know about the verse and the verse or the words in it that you don't know or don't quite understand. And, and one way of doing that is asking yourself, how would you explain this to someone else? And so I've known this section for quite a while, but when it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I did not know how to explain that. What does it mean to renew your mind? And then it ends with that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is renewing your mind? Well, when you look up the word, the word renew, sometimes you ever get a definition that didn't really help you? Renew, the first word in definition in its application in Scripture was renewal. Okay, it didn't really help me as much as I wanted. But the other explanations or definitions of the word used in Scripture did. And these other definitions were renovation. Now, even stronger with the use of this word in Scripture is complete change. So let me describe that for you. When you are being told in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what God is saying is that your mind has to be changed. Amen? Let me ask it to you differently. Do you have some people in your life that you wish their minds would change? Do you have some people in your life that you have tried to change their minds? 
I have a little statement that I make, and uh, I think I'm smart saying it. But those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. And so we, I appreciate the testimony of stubbornness. Sometimes there's a right place of stubbornness, and sometimes there's a bad place. But let me ask you, when we're unwilling to change our mind, how stubborn are we? Even when confronted with truth. See, I'm doing a project in my backyard, and I am not a builder. And I, I, I really, at this stage of my life, it's probably not the thing that I need to dive into and become a master in. But there's nothing like walking out trying to do a simple project that you think you should be able to do and being confounded with stupidity. So you want to know what that looks like? Back in the day, Home Depot had a book that was about yay thick and about yay wide or yay tall. And it was home improvement, simple tasks that they gave in the book that said, this is how you do this project. Anybody know what book I'm talking about? Maybe you do. Um, But in that book, uh, here's what they would do. They would give you three levels of time expectation, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. How humbling is it to come to the beginner time and find that you took four times the beginner time. Four times. So all I was trying to do is add a lean-to to my shed. Now, that's not that complicated, but I will tell you it's more complicated than I knew, and it's more expensive than I knew. And it's just a lean-to. But that is not a renovation. That's an add-on. It's taking a structure that's already there and saying, you know what? I like that structure. It's pretty good. It's got good bones, got good future. If I do this, it'll make it a little bit better. That's not this renewal of your mind. Renewal of your, renewing your mind is having that completely changed. It's the word we use in English not very often in today's society is raising it, which sounds opposite, but raising it to the ground. Bringing it to a foundation and starting over. And here's what we do. We will excuse the way we think based on our upbringing, based on the influences in our life, based on what people did to me that that maybe harmed me, and then justify our bad thinking in rebellion to bringing it to the authority of Christ, and it's become such a habit of life that you can have people, as I said this morning, in church, totally ignoring somebody else in church, living in a disposition that looks like hate when we are called as God's people to be identified with loving one another as a hallmark of what a follower of Jesus Christ is. And it's become common normal Christianity, and it's broken, but God fixes it, and God will help you. But your mind has to be changed. It has to be renovated. What is renovation? It is the screen of your thoughts, the targeted end of your thought. It is having my mind changed in this target, Having your mind changed by proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how your mind is changed. The target of verse 2 is not just that you have your mind changed, but it has a targeted end. 
That target ends is you are looking at decisions and thoughts and what's going on in your head, what's going in your mind, targeting what is the proof or how do I prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It looks like this, what would God want me to do? What would He want me to say? How would He want me to respond? How would He want me to think? What is that good and acceptable will of God was with what is going on in my mind. Now, the path to application is the rest of this message. How does God want me to think? And let's take our Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to lay some foundation here, and I am going to say that this is where you're going to have to do your own study, okay? Because I'm going to give you things that I think are going to help you, but I'm not going to get to, in the time that we have, be able to undergird each one of these with the depth that they need. But I'm, I don't want you to just trust me that the truth is there, but I'm sharing it with you because I believe it is. So, some principles to understand that God is very direct about our thinking. So, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we read this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through who? Through Christ Jesus. He, His will, is the target of your thinking, and He's the one that can correct and redirect your thoughts. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things, and this is one of those verses I've tried to memorize through the years, and, and I get it started well, but then I mix up everything else in between. I don't know if anybody else is that way. But it says, finally, my brethren, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, what does he say? Right, now, in one version it says think. What does it say here? It says what? Meditate on these things. What is it to meditate? It's to not have the passing thought that entered one side and went out the other, but it's to park on it. It's to sit there. It's one of the things that preachers do. Sometimes it's called hobby horses. But they sit on a truth and try to kind of hatch out that truth so that it's plain and easily seen, but it takes time. It takes musing. It takes handling. It takes working it over. Now, in this, is simply in this principle that God does give us what to think about. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but when you look at verse 8 and when you, when you want to know how to direct your thinking, God gives you specifically in that passage things that you can think about instead of the bad things that are entering your mind. And it is the discipline of the mind that you make a decision when the Holy Spirit makes you aware to reject the thoughts that you were thinking about and to replace them with godly thinking. Now, to be sure, what I'm going to share right now has to be quick, but I'm going to give you the path to changing your mind, and the path to walking with God in a real relationship. And I wish we had sessions. This would take really, I think, weeks if not months to go over this truth. 
But I want to start with this under principle. For you to be able to do this, you cannot do this simply by trying harder. It actually happens instead by surrendering more. And that surrender is under the influence, I'm going to give a specific person, um, I think the argument can made, be made easily for uh, all the persons of the Trinity, but I'm going to specifically target the Holy Spirit. Now, this became real to me in dealing with my own sinfulness, my own flesh, by memorizing and quoting and meditating upon Galatians 5.16. Now, if you know the passage, it says this, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Do you know the rest of it? And you will not… All right, church family, you're discipled. You know this. Say it with me. Don't be shy. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And all God's people said, "Is it amen. Is it true? So it is a surrender. But I'm going to tell you the evil deeds that we do start with the thoughts that we allow. The evil dispositions that we tolerate start with the thoughts that we allow. And I understand what it is to have thoughts come to you that you did not invite. But because a thought comes to you that you did not invite, doesn't mean that you're powerless to reject the thought and allow it to stay. So a decision has to be made. Now, here's what I know about this truth. It is true for every mind in this room. And I also know that if you will apply the principles that I'm giving you tonight, that there are broken relationships that nobody knows about because it's behind closed doors. There are husband-wife relationships that aren't doing well. There are interpersonal relationships that aren't doing well. There's interpersonal thoughts that you have that aren't going well. And I'm telling you that God ministers to and fixes them all. And I stand on the absolute authority of that truth. And the reason I have passion behind it is I don't want you to live broken. God is a God of hope to help you. But for this to happen, you have to be surrendered to and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The men of the retreat got more of this than you're getting tonight. But I am going to simply say that walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit means that you are continually sensitive to the things of God. They're continually sensitive to, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? I remember having a cousin who wasn't saved ask me, so tell me about your walk with God. And I tried to explain it to her, and then she said to me, so are you saying that you ask God about everything you do? I said, well, I try to. You mean the kind of toothpaste that you use? Well, actually, it's not out of the scope. <laughs> scope, got it. That was a joke. Um, everything that we think about, Everything that we think about, everything that we do needs to be in partnership and fellowship and surrender to a relationship to the Holy Spirit, who in John 14, we know that He is our comforter and He lives where? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 as well. Where does He live? He lives in you and He affects you emotionally. I am telling you, it is the Holy Spirit who will make you aware that your thinking is stinking. 
if you will be sensitive to Him. If you will be in a surrendered condition to Him, He will make you aware. Making you aware is the first step, but then I want to undergird with another principle, and again, I apologize for the lack of time to do this. But you need to be surrendered to and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you have to believe in the authority and the power and the living nature of the Word of God. And I'm telling you that many Christians give a head nod to the Word of God, but are, but are dispassionate to its truth. So I think I, I even referred to this passage this morning. But Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Now listen to this. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God is able to pierce into and surgically deal with thinking that is not right with God. And so what I am saying is that these truths are not hidden. They are powerful. But I often find that we go awry in its application or somehow miss the living application to how to do this. So the nature of this message tonight is to take you right down that path. And so I'm going to tell you what that looks like. And I'll use myself, and I'm no standard of perfection, that's for sure. And I think that gives me the platform to share with you how God works with me. And I believe that we are all in the same condition. So do you suppose there are thoughts that I should not have? You don't have to be bashful. <laughs> there are thoughts that I should not have, just like you. And when those thoughts come to mind, we need to deal with them biblically. And I'm going to walk you through, applicationally, a few of them. Now, this is not exhaustive, not meant to be, but it's a few of them. So you and I need to learn how to walk with the Spirit and how to use the Word of God to change our thinking. All right, so let's take, let's take an illustration of bitterness and anger. Have you ever experienced that? Bitterness and anger towards someone. Have any of you ever experienced the longevity of anger living in your house, which takes the name of bitterness? Where it turns from being upset about something to living with it and harboring it and holding it and nurturing it and justifying it and living under the appeasement of, I have every right to be angry and bitter because of whatever it was that happened to you. How do you deal with it? I'm going to tell you that you'll stay stuck there and live in the poison of bitterness until you listen to the Holy Spirit and repent. And this is what that looks like. 
The Holy Spirit works on your heart. And I referenced already in Philippians 4, I could, re- I could reference 1 Corinthians 10, 13 if we wanted to. But what I would say in my own life, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, Jeff, you are thinking the wrong way about that person. And by the way, I know this sounds charismatic, but you can feel it. You feel anger. You feel the conflict in your soul. You feel that out of harmony, that disharmony with the Lord. And the Lord works on your heart to make you aware. But what happens next is crucial. There has to be a surrender where you bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and being willing to have your mind changed from carnal thinking to godly thinking. And the Word of God that you might go to dealing with bitterness and anger, does God allow for you to live in bitterness? Is it God's desire that you live in that unsanctified carnal anger? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even, you know how it goes, as God in Christ forgave you. So that looks like this, Lord. I'm upset with this person. Lord, I am wrong to harbor those thoughts. Lord, I am wrong to allow those wicked thoughts of, of anger and non-love live in my heart towards this brother or sister. Lord, I need you to break me. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my mind. And Lord, forgive me for harboring and thinking and allowing that horse to run in my life. Lord, help me be surrendered to you. Help me to walk godly in Christ. Lord, help me to be surrendered and submissive to you. Lord, bring this thought under obedience to you. And folks, it looks just like that. If you go back, and you don't have to, but if you went back to uh, Philippians 4, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Had a man in my house. I appreciate him uh, in my office. I appreciate him coming. He basically was having marriage problems, and I said that he needed to surrender his anger to the Lord, and I told him, you will find success if you learn to pray quicker before you exhibit your anger more. If you would pray sooner in the conversation with your wife, you would be angry less. Because it's awfully hard to stay angry when you're talking to God who forgave you. Proverbs 25, 28 is another verse you could go to that says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like, do you remember this verse? Is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And what it means is you are vulnerable living in anger. Meditation on these verses in your anger will break you and give you the consequence of understanding what it means for you to live in that condition. And what I want to help you with is you don't have to stay there.
You can surrender and you can bring your thoughts to obedience in Jesus. You can do the right thing and you can be spiritually healthy if you will obey Christ. Now, I want to remind you, who starts all this work in you? You don't find yourself doing the right thing because you've got a good idea. You do the right thing because the Holy Spirit is alive and compelling and working and drawing in your life to walk with Him. So how do you deal with anger and bitterness? Surrender. Prayer and obedience. Using the Word of God to deal with the very issue that is at hand. And I want to tell you again, it's really hard to stay in obedience when you're quoting Scripture that tells you you are out of sorts with God. What about fear? There are many people that won't do what God wants them to do because they're afraid. Because they have thoughts about themselves that um, put them in a position of going through life with timidity, lack of decision, lack of focus, because they're afraid of what might happen. And I'll just remind you of 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, and you've got to love this, and of love, where's it go? And a sound mind. I want to tell you, I, I've got, okay, you know, I've got eight kids. I minister to them all the time. I'm a bit sarcastic about it. I apologize because I probably should have that brought to be obedience in Christ. <laughs> But sometimes my kids will be given a task and I will hear them react in fear. And, and, and fear, sometimes, and my kids can be, oh no, I, I, they've asked me, and, and, and I, oh, I don't know if I, I don't want to do it. And, and I said, you know what? Are you afraid? And they will say, yes. And I will say, well, that's probably the best thing. Just be afraid, just live in fear. And then they will, and, then I, and I don't say anymore. And then they'll say, Dad, that's not right. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pleased to know that they've got good doctrine, but they don't have good application. So every intern that comes to our church, we force them to go to doctorate level counseling class, which is entailed by showing them a Bob Newhart video. And if you've ever seen it, it's the video that says, stop it. And if you want to come to me for counseling, I will help you. And at some point, it's going to be, stop it. We'll use the Word of God to get there. I won't use his other phrase, stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. But I'm a preacher, and I might just... <laughs> If I live, outlive you, <laughs> I might just. Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His Word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh, what can flesh do to me. At Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 are medicinal to my soul. 
Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. It goes on to say in verse 4, the reason to trust in God, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. What do you have to be afraid of? Serve God with joy. Serve God with boldness. Go and do something mighty for God or at least try. But I'm afraid. There's a lot of people. <laughs> By the way, I know it's loud in here. I'm not yelling at you. I'm, I love you and I'm passionate, so I'm sorry if it's loud. But that fear and those thoughts have to be brought captive and aggressively laid hold of. Now, I know it doesn't look like it, and don't judge me, but I used to be a wrestler. I did it for a lot of years. One of the things that you know about wrestling is that you're supposed to stand on the front of the balls of your feet. And when you're facing an opponent... You cannot face an opponent by simply slipping away and avoiding all the times. There's somebody coming after you, and if you don't engage, they're going to take you. So you better engage. You know, one of the number one things a wrestler has to do, they have to have a strong grip because they have to get a hold of somebody. And what they're trying to do is with psychology, with strategy, but with strength, manipulate someone into a position where they can be in control, in control instead of that person controlling them. And this is exactly what has to happen with our thoughts. We have to get in control with our thoughts where we grab them and we bring them to obedience and decide to reject, I am not going to live under the banner of ungodly fear. And I don't know if it's my daughters, but I look at you young ladies and I wish I just had a heart to heart. You're going to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your future. Don't waste your todays worrying about tomorrow. The God who made this day will take care of you. If He doesn't come back for us or you don't go to Him, He's going to take care of you today and He's going to take care of you tomorrow. You've got nothing to be afraid of. If you'll hear the Word of God in this, It'll comfort your soul. It'll bring you peace. What about improper and negative self-evaluation? Now, I don't want to sound like Joel Osteen. That's my... I work on that in the mirror, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> I just, it just doesn't work. But I am telling you that many of you have an improper, ungodly view of yourself, and it can go into, it can go in, and the next one I think I have here is pride, and it can go in either direction. But in your improper and negative self-evaluation, you can be just stuck in life with what do I do? Nothing. Because you don't see yourself in the way that God sees you. Now, there's so much doctrine in here, we don't have time. God knows that you're dust. God knows that you're fragile. God knows that you're frail. God knows that you're a mess. And if you don't, your friends do. And if your friends don't, your family does. 
We need to be honest. We're a mess. And we need God to fix our thinking. But some of you have a wrong view of yourself and it stops you from serving. And, you know, have you ever been scared and nervous about serving? Anybody? So, believe it or not, I was very afraid of being a preacher. And I still find my heart racing when I come to preach the Word of God. But there was a day where I was a tenor in a quartet. And I had the misfortune of being able to sing high. So that after concerts, usually it'd be kids in junior high that would come up to me and they would say, quite amazing, you sing like a girl. And I would put on my lowest voice, well, amen. (laughs) But when I was in college, um, I didn't give a lot of thought to this because I didn't know. Um, You had to pick a minor. And my minor was music. I still don't know today why I chose that minor. But I was a music minor, and my proficiency was voice. All good so far. Why voice? Because it was far better than my trumpet playing. That's why voice. What I did not know is that you had to perform. And you had to perform at very significant moments that I would not have signed up for for my life. And I don't know if you've ever had it, but folks, I have been blessed to mess up royally in front of people singing. And not just once, but many times. And I, can't, I wish I had time to give you the illustrations, but I don't. But I will tell you that I... I had some nervous habits that I continually did. I even still do them some when I preach. And it was continually clearing my voice. And, and in the quartet, I would, the baritone was really the, the leader of the group. And I would always go to him, and his name's Peter. And I would say, Pete, what's my note? If Pete, if Pete could have given me a t-shirt, that's what would have said, it would have said, what's my note? And I mean, he gave it to me probably, I'm not kidding, he'd give it to me 15 times before we would walk on the stage. And when we would go on the stage, I was gripped with fear because we were singing a cappella. No instruments behind you. And you're the tenor. And there are times in that tenor singing where you're hitting notes by yourself that are high and you're just alone. And I would be so afraid that my knees would shake. And I would have to change my footing because I literally thought I was going to fall if I didn't move my position of my legs. And it was 1 Peter 4.11 that ministered to my life. And it didn't take my nervousness all away, but it humbled me, which will be our next session of pride. But it humbled me because it made me realize that I need to stop fearing men in fearing what people are going to think of me and worrying about being better than anybody else because 1 Peter 4.11 says this, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That means if anyone's going to speak, especially as a, uh, a messenger for Christ, let him speak the messages of God. That's what the word oracles means. 
It goes on to say, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Now, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever with the authority of amen behind it. So what it meant for me was this. In my singing in those nervous times, I just needed to serve with the ability that God gave whatever it is. Mess up or not mess up, it's what God's given me. I want to do the best I can with that ability, but it's not ability that I have outside of God. He gave it to me, and I'm simply the steward of that ability. And what that did is it ministered to my thinking, which takes me to the next point of pride. Are you proud? Now, that's such a mean question. Are you proud? Let me, let me give it to you in a different way. I believe that no matter how humble we are, we are not humble enough. That's, that's my opinion of me. It's my opinion of all of us. No matter how humble we are, we're not humble enough. But does God deal with pride? I, I remember when I was first uh, working as a youth pastor, and I was teaching in a church, and I picked up the subject of pride, I was going to teach it as a topical series. And yes, there was a young teenager, a 16-year-old in there who was bigger than everybody else, very athletic and very good, and knew it. And when I started teaching on pride, I cannot tell you how many in the church came to me and said, I'm so thankful you're teaching on pride because Jason needs it. <laughs> Included in those people that came to me was Jason. <laughs> I'm so glad you're pre preaching on pride because there are so many people here that need to hear that. The truth is, humility looks like Jesus. And the reason we want humility in our life is due to the fact that that's our Lord. He humbled himself, Philippians 2, and went to the cross. He put on human flesh, suffers for us, but God fixes our pride when we hear His Spirit make us aware of the pride that's in our lives, surrender to Him. And under verses like this, James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Proverbs 22, verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Matthew 23.12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And verse after verse after verse after verse. Does God want to deal with our pride? Does God want to deal with our prideful thinking? Yes. So just a short list, but a toolkit that God gives you with knowledge so you can know how to fix your thinking. So I want to come back. Our time is done, and here's what I simply want to say. In your married life, in your family life, in your relationships, and in your walking on this planet, you're going to have all kinds of thoughts come through your mind. They all have to be filtered as a Christian under the banner of loving Jesus and bringing them to obedience to Him. And it's a habit of life that we have to practice again and again. And it simply looks like this. When the Lord makes you aware, surrender to His Spirit. What I practically do at that moment is I pray. It's the first thing I do.
I pray. I try to acknowledge the thinking that was not right. I try to ask the Lord to take that thinking away. Sometimes I even take, depending on what it is, I cut it up, I burn it up, I throw it away, but I surrender it. And I then start using Scripture that speaks to that issue, and I try to meditate upon that Scripture. And I want to tell you, so effective is the Word of God that sometimes I've not used Scripture that dealt with that particular issue. I just started quoting Scripture. And I would quote Scripture and quote Scripture and quote Scripture until it was no longer an issue. And if it came back and was an issue again, I would start all over again. So you've noticed up here that I've quoted several verses to you tonight. And I would tell you that I quote those verses not because I'm good at Scripture memory. I quote those verses because I know them by reason of use. I use them again and again and again. I've needed them today. I will need them tomorrow. There's coming a day when I will be with Him and all that stain of sin will be gone. But until that time, it is possible to walk godly in Christ Jesus. What are you doing with your thinking?